0: This is the Adoptive Mom Podcast. Adoption may look different for each family, but we need solidarity from other crazy people who took this leap. And that is what we do here. We encourage, we build up, we share the wins and losses. We lean on each other and we get through this together. Thanks for joining us. Hey, hey, welcome to episode eight of the Adoptive Mom Podcast. I am so excited that you're listening and I am so thankful for all the support I've gotten so far for this Podcast and thank you again to all the wise adoptive mamas that have been on that have been featured on this podcast. I'm just this wouldn't exist without you guys, and I'm so thankful for your wisdom and your willingness to open up and have chats with me. I wanted to take a minute and actually read some of the reviews I've gotten on iTunes and thank you guys for them. So we have one here from Chris2338. She says, Alex is not just the host, she is also an adoptive mom, and her perspective and insight make this podcast an excellent resource for those of us in the trenches with her. Her first interview was amazing. That was with Anne Mythaler. And I can't wait to see where else this podcast takes us. Thank you so much, Chris. And let's see, I think it says Shio S-H-I-O 1982 says love the different perspectives and honesty. Brittany Watley says, can't wait for Mondays now. Love the truth in these snippets. And I'll read more next week. But I just wanted to thank you guys so much for the insight and encourage anyone else if you haven't yet. I would just so so appreciate it if you would take a few minutes to go over to iTunes and rate and review this podcast. It'll help us rise up in the ranks and get into more ears that need to hear it. Today I have such a special treat for you guys. We get to hear from another international adoptive mama, and her name is Mandy Morgan. She and her family have been law have been. Full time missionaries to multiple countries and have adopted three children along the way, and that's in addition to their three biological children. We got to chat about attachment with your adopted kids from other countries, all the fun logistics that go along with international adoptions. And since they are a white family and they have adopted from both China and Haiti, we got to talk a little bit about adoption and race. It was such an eye-opening interview, and I'm so grateful that she was able to chat with me. I did things a little bit differently this time. You know, usually I like to pick a topic that they are an expert in and hone in on that, but Mandy was just able to share wisdom on so many different facets of international adoption, and I hope you enjoy her interview as much as I did. So on that note, let's jump right in to my chat with Mandy Morgan. All right. Hi, Mandy. How's it going?
1: Hi, Alex. Going well.
0: Going well. You're uh, talking to us from Kenya, which is super exciting. <laughs> yep. Okay, so tell the, tell everyone a little bit about yourselves, just how many kids you have, husband info, uh, what you guys are doing in Kenya, etc. See, we've been
1: married for 19 years. We have six kids. First three are biological, and they are 17, almost 16, and 14, and then the last three are adopted and they are twelve, eight, and six.
0: Goodness, I don't. I cannot believe Luck and Liver that old now. I know. Me either. Oh my goodness! <laughs> when you guys were in Arkansas, it was like they were so tiny. They were. Oh if you goodness. saw them now, you'd think Livy was twelve. Though <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: she talks, she talks like a teen. So, oh goodness! It's I fun. I bet having two older sisters doesn't help with that. Right. Right. <laughs> so yeah. So you guys have three boys, three girls, keeping it keeping it even, right? Hmm. Has that worked out well for y'all? Yes, I think it's been really great.
1: We've, um, you know, we're we're in the process of moving again.
0: I didn't um, know that.
1: Well, you know, it's literally as of last week the decision was made. <laughs> so that's a new thing, and that'll be new for everybody. But um, it'll be the first time we'll have really mixing up you know we've had the older boys share room the middle girls and then the littles and we call them the littles Looking in the they're the eight and six year old but being a boy and girl we've known that 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 group grouping isn't going to work very long and so <laughs> in this next move it's the first time we're going to have um a junior in high school room with a second grader so that'll be interesting
0: you know it'll <laughs> teach him patience it's good for the soul right <laughs> right it's great for teens to have that accountability too. So, my <laughs> husband's fine with that. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah. So we've talked a little bit about you've you've had a couple different adoptions. So let's let's jump into that story. Just what what got you into this, and then um, what made you do it twice? <laughs> so all of that okay. stuff.
1: Okay. Well, honestly, I have always wanted to to adopt since I was little. And this was something I made known to my husband very early on. I don't know if it's just not really having a father around. I don't know what it is, but that's where God put my heart was just every child needs a family and needs to feel like they belong. And that was a big thing for me and just always wanted to do it. Um, but through the process getting married, and my husband knew this was kind of there, but it wasn't really a passion given to him right away as it usually goes. You know, this is something I've found over and over to be true, that adoption often is laid on the wife's heart first and, you know, lots of prayer. And, you know, if this is meant to be, the husband will come around. God will speak to your husband as well. But that's kind of how it was. And um, we knew that we had to be, when we moved to China, we thought, well, we're in China. We knew this was going to happen someday. So we have to wait till we're 30 because we're not quite old enough to have to adopt in China. And um, so we had a few babies along the way. And um, I think it was a sermon in China, actually, that uh, my husband listened to. He's a big fan of John Piper. And he did a sermon on adoption and kind of what turned him around to adopting his youngest daughter as adopted. And um, it, same thing, it was kind of something on his wife's heart forever, and he didn't quite know what to do with that. And then God pretty strongly showed him how we are all adopted. And, you know, if we're true followers of Jesus and what his heart was, well, that's obvious his heart was for adoption. So logically, in a man's mind, it was easy to see, oh, well, logically, we should be doing that too. And that was it. That opened the door, and um, he was totally on board and excited about it. Um, so that's how the first one came about. Um, so moving forward after we finally got our sweet Millie, she was two years old. Um, and she had never seen a male in her entire life. Wow. So. Yeah. So she was very afraid of my husband. I mean, well, and he's not, not a small person, so I know. he's a big burly. I would be afraid too. She's used to these little Chinese woman. And he was he, at the time. He also had this monster beard and he's <laughs> he does scary with this beard. But um, yeah, so she couldn't even make eye contact with him. It wasn't a normal fear. It was pure trauma, just terror. And so um, she clung to me. And that was it. I was her safety. And, um, it was a long time before I felt like this child maybe actually feels love for me, you know, because I, it was just a clinging out of just sheer fear of everything else. She wanted my undivided attention, um, needed me to talk to her, listen to her, look at her, hold her all the time, wherever I was, she was. And so, you you know, that's exhausting. And I had, um, three other children and we thought it'd be fabulous if that first year when she came home, we decided to homeschool so they could all just bond and it'd be awesome. <laughs> so that was funny, funny year that no one learned anything and I did a lot of crying and I <laughs> did a lot of crying, but, um, you know, years pass and things got better. And my husband was great about dealing with that rejection and, um, course now she's she's got them wrapped around her finger and they're very close and it's sweet to see but um anyways moving forward when she was about four and a half um was when we were finishing up in china we'd been there for almost 10 years and we were passing over things to local chinese which was kind of the goal and we were going to start this whole thing over again in south america somewhere in central america um, so we were in America just on a quick visit with family in the process of moving to Costa Rica. And so it'd be the first move that our family had made cause they'd all lived in China. And, um, I remember during this time, car trips were kind of the one time I could ever read a book. So I loved car trips cause all my babies were strapped in and I could read. And so I had several books line that we were going to read that summer while we were traveling around visiting family. None of them had anything to do with adoption whatsoever. (laughs) But of course, after each book, Casey would look over at me from the driver's seat and just know that I was just bawling. Be like, I know what it is. I know what it is. I'm like, I know. It's just these books have nothing to do with adoption. But at the end of them, God is just pounding it on me that This is where my heart goes. This is what we're supposed to do. I know we're supposed to adopt again. And I thought, he is going to think I'm crazy. And we are about to make the biggest move of our life. And, you know, I looked back at my kids sitting there about to make the biggest move of their life. I thought of Millie, my one from China, who had finally found her place as the youngest and the only adopted. And she was dead set against not having any other kids with those characteristics in our family. She was the only one. (laughs) So she was not for it. Um, So we just said, you know, and I'll tell you what my husband said, which was really, really confirming to me. I thought he was going to be like, you're crazy. We have no money. We have no, we're about to make this huge move. You know what a huge emotional thing this is. This is not good timing. But instead he was like, well, okay. Wow. He just said, you know, i found that, you know, through all this, yes, it's hard and we are never prepared, but you have to admit, we felt so close to God through all that because we could not control anything. We couldn't control, especially with international adoptions, places like Haiti, things like that. You, up until the last minute when you're on the plane going home, you do not have confirmation that everything's going to work out and you're ever going to adopt this child. It's ever going to happen, you know? Yeah. And so it's a scary thing, um, but we just, you know, it's, it's addictive to feel so close to God during those times because we had to give up control and had to see him do beautiful things. So, um, that was an easy guess from him that second time around. And, um, but we knew that we were not in a good stage of life to take this on. So we just said, we have to do something. Let's pray this week. God, we're just going to open our hands completely. You know where we are. You know our hearts. You know we don't have the finances or the bandwidth, the emotional energy, the time, anything right now during this move to do this. But we hear you. We know you're doing something. So we're just going to keep our eyes open, and we promise we're going to put our yes on the table. You know, any hint of adoption that comes around, we will pursue it. So I didn't go out looking for adoption agencies or do anything, really. We moved to Costa Rica. About a month later, month in, the only other American I'd met was a missionary, and um, she comes to me out of the blue, says, "Mandy, I need you to pray with me. I don't know what to do." My husband, um, he works with Efree, and he had an office over in Haiti, and whenever he goes, there's an orphanage, you know, kind of on the side of the office. And she went three years before this with him. And, of course, they always hang out with the kids and just play around and visit the orphanage when they go. And this little girl had really bonded with her. Her name was Jenny, and she was um, three at the time. So she said, the director of that orphanage just called. I haven't been there in three years. She called me out of the blue and said, I, do you remember that little girl Jenny? She's six now. All of her living relatives are now dead, and she's adoptable. We think you're the one that's supposed to adopt her. And my friend was like, I don't know what to do. I've, you know, I'm 55. I've had five kids that I've raised them all. They're all out of the house. But I, I have to pray about this. I have to be, you know, open. Will you pray about with me? I said, of course I didn't tell her any of my story or where we were, but immediately sparks go off in my mind. Like, Oh, is this it God? Oh no. I thought it was going to be siblings that would work out better. And someone not close to Millie's age that would work out better. (laughs) But, um, (laughs) but I said I would be open. So I have to be open. So I didn't say that we were looking toward that or anything, but I was praying hard too. Um, So anyway, she comes back a week later and it's like, you know, I feel a total peace about not adopting this little girl. All my children have been praying with me. Nobody feels a peace about taking her in. I think I think we're doing the right thing, but I cannot shake the feeling that you're supposed to look into this. She looked directly at me, and I just thought, dang, that's it. <laughs> dang it. <laughs> so, of course, we said, we have to do this. So I called that week after lots of prayer and talk to the director and still just feeling like what in the world is happening. This little girl would be a year older than my youngest. That is so not what we were thinking. Um, So we, uh, but we called and she said, you know what? This was the strangest thing out of the blue. Jenny had an uncle that's still living and they came down and took her and she's not here with us anymore. But we have these ten kids, and she threw out pictures on email like instantly—ten pictures of ten kids. I couldn't believe it. And wow. she said, "But will you take one of these? Pick one." Like, no, this is almost even worse. How do you pick a face? You can't pick a face. Yeah, I know God wants. So um, I just said, "We need some time to think about." It. I don't even know how to answer this. Do any of them have siblings? Nope, none of them had siblings. Okay, well. God, this isn't anything like we thought, but we're just going to keep pursuing this. So um, a week goes by. I'm still kind of we're rolling over who to pick and how to even try to pick. And she, uh, I called again to get some more questions answered. And she was like, you know what? One of those kids that you were interested in, his name is Luxon. We have never met his birth mom. And she showed up at the gate last week, and it was the craziest thing. She's totally pregnant, about to have a baby, and wants to leave it here. But the mom is crippled. Will you take it? And we just said, okay, that's it. That's everything that we kind of thought God was leading toward. We've got to say yes. We know we thought it'd be siblings. We thought it would be, you know, younger than Millie. We thought if there was a female, that one wouldn't be too close in age to Millie. So it's a boy and then a girl. What's the youngest that was going to be? Actually, we didn't know that it was going to be a girl at the time. We just knew it was going to be siblings. Um, so we said yes. And so that's how we started that process. And that was a long and tough one. It took about two years. And, uh, yes. And some of the people that we started with, Actually, it took them four years, people that we'd met in the process that started at the same time at that same place. So it was was tough, and it was one of those things even down to the last minute that you're still thinking when we actually came to get them, we get to the American Embassy thinking we're home free, we're getting on our flight home tomorrow, we've got both our kids, it's been two years, it's finally happening. And at the American Embassy they said, Okay, well, you can take Luxon tomorrow on the plane with you, but, um, no, you could take Livy, the baby, but you, you need to go drive Luxon back to the orphanage three hours away. We've, we've found an error in his birth certificate. It's fake. Oh my gosh. This was so last minute after it'd been through so much paperwork, you know, the paperwork. Yeah. So, um, anywho, that's how all that went. But lo and behold, everything worked out and we were on a plane the next day with both kids. Oh, good. So. Yes. Yes. It all worked out. Well, um,
0: and I remember whenever you guys were on furlough here and you, you were living in Arkansas um, and you would go and visit them even before you could adopt them.
1: Yes. Yes. I think that was really helpful. Um, It was hard, but because legally they become yours right away. um, But you can't take them out of the country. So um, we, when we were on land in Haiti, they had to be ours. They couldn't eat the food. We had to bring their diapers, their food. We had to bring a tent and stay with them in the tent. So, um, wow. there? Yeah. so it was, it was an interesting thing, but I really do think it was really helpful to have some kind of connection with them before they came home and to be able to, you know, bring pictures and that sort of thing. Yeah. I think helped them kind of feel at home. And I even brought my daughter Um, one of the trips I didn't go with Casey. I went by myself once and I went with Emma once and she was, I think 11 at the time so that she could meet them and see what their life was like. So she has a connection kind of what their life was like. Um, So I think that was really helpful as hard as it was. (laughs) It was, it was a good thing.
0: Yeah. I imagine it was really hard to leave, but yes,
1: I tell you the first, the first time I left bawling, screaming, crying, but by the last trip, it was like no more tears. It was just like, okay, there's that person that comes sometimes and leaves again, you know, <laughs> that leaves for, you know, half a year. <laughs> <laughs> so that was harder. It was harder when they stopped crying. Just like, that's just my life. People come in and out, you know. Oh, goodness. Well, yeah. and I
0: I imagine there's some, you know, some semblance of like, is this actually ever going to happen for them? Right.
1: Right. And they were too young to understand What was going to happen, anyways? It's just this random lady that comes and puts me in a tent with her for a week, every couple months.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So brings us a few things, and you know, yeah, the snack lady. We get to eat when she comes. (laughs) That's awesome. Okay, so um, does that I mean, that kind of brings us to the end of your adoption story. I remember when you brought them home, and it was just so awesome. And I feel so blessed. I mean, we all feel so blessed that that got to happen when you were on furlough. So we got to see them and see their homecoming. And that was awesome. Mm -hmm. Um, Okay, so we've kind of talked about some of the international adoption stuff. So you did it with two different countries and I imagine it was two vastly different processes. Although, you know, with, like you said that with every adoption, there's just the like mountain of paperwork that you have to fill out and all the hoops you have to jump through. But what was the biggest difference between Haiti and China?
1: Um, there was a lot of differences, but I think with China, it was more, um, you know, poor China. I feel bad because they really are, trying to do this well and um there's just not enough people because they need you know it's kind of a volunteer job there's just not enough people to work in the system so that's why adoptions take so many so many years and so long but they are organized and they are official and you just you feel safer with that i know that it's going to happen i think whereas countries like haiti where you know like i said you know, Lux and Libby probably never had an actual. I mean, when they were born, it was written on a napkin somewhere. You know, there was no. There's not a lot of official real things to work with. So a lot of corruption can happen. A lot of. It's just a. A much iffier thing. Yeah. So, um, you know, I think. Maybe that was the biggest difference. One, we didn't ever see Millie till the day we got her home. And, um, the other two, we got to see along the way, which was awesome. But we, we also never knew if we'd ever get to take them home,
0: (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) we knew we'd take her home one day. So, So, and this was, this was post natural disaster Haiti, right? Yes. So did did that affect the adoption process at all?
1: No, supposedly the earthquake had kind of. Given some people that were in the pipeline, that was a couple years before. Immediate, they had just let a lot of them out, and they sped up a lot of things. Um, But they were all back to craziness by the time we were in the adoption pipeline. Oh, good. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. So probably even more of a myth.
0: Oh, goodness. (laughs) Uh, okay. So, um, I mean, international adoption, I know that, you know, in this podcast, we've focused a lot on domestic adoption. So I, I know that I have a lot of listeners and I've actually gotten texts and emails about, they're like, please tell me you're going to have someone on this done international adoption. Um, so like, what would you say about just patience in those situations? And how would you encourage these people who are about to like, wade into this water and you're kind of I know that you're like you don't know what you're about to get into but what would you say to them kind of in a nutshell
1: um well I don't I know that's a lot it's true with other countries too that are kind of like Haiti but there's it's helpful I've found to be you know there's Facebook groups of people that are waiting because then you get the most up-to-date information hey I heard you know IBS is doing this there's gonna have a big load coming through you know you just you hear what other people are going through and it gives you assurance that, okay, things are moving or things aren't moving and all these people are feeling it too because a lot of times you just don't feel like you know what's going on, you know, on their side of things. So, um, being a part of a group that's in it, that's kind of in the same process as you is helpful. Um, oh. What was
0: the question again? No, no, yeah. you're totally fine. It's uh, there's so many details with this adoption thing that I feel like it's so easy to get uh just lost in the explanation right. or the just uh, everything. Um no, I was just asking about, you know, we've we've had a lot of people contact me about um about international adoption and just hoping that they can hear from someone who's been through it. So I was just asking what you would say to those people. So that's great. Just okay. get, getting that support and um and support,
1: pass the time by finding ways to make money that you feel like is, you know, going towards your adoption. I know that was something people did just to help them pass the time and feel like they're being proactive because a lot of the waiting, you just feel like it's totally out of your control. It's out of your hands. You've done everything you can. And now you just have to let it be and hope that, you know, the country responds and things happen and you can't really control anything. Once you do your part. So, you know, a lot of people will sell T-shirts, do things that they feel like, you know, I'm doing something, I'm helping the orphanage, we're raising money toward that. You just, you feel like you're proactive in the process
0: instead of just
1: dying, sitting, twiddling your thumbs, waiting.
0: Yeah, no, that's great advice. I imagine that that process is not good for anyone dealing with anxiety. So uh, finding some distraction is probably a really, really good advice. Mhm. Um okay so we've we've talked a little bit about it just that we've said you know two different countries two different races and you guys are uh, Caucasian so mm-hmm. you've got a lot of um a lot of racial mixing mixing going on in your house. Let's talk about that a little bit. Um and I have a funny story actually to start us off because we've taken pictures of you guys and mm-hmm. at one point we were taking pictures of all the kids and they were all holding hands and Casey said to us, like, hold on, hold on, let's, we need to spread out the whites a little bit more. And that was just the funniest thing to me. And so you guys obviously have a sense of humor about it. And I know that your kids probably don't, you know, feel a lot of difference within your home. But how have you guys, what are some experiences you guys have had with, um, with a multiracial family?
1: Yeah, it's been, you know, it's been fun that we've lived in a place where Millie is Asian and it's all Asians and we're the minority. And we've lived in Arkansas where our white kids, you know, were majority at their school and, you know, the others weren't. And now we're here in Kenya where all, lo and behold, you know, they can't, the Kenyans can't tell our Haitians, diff, you know, that they're different from them. So um, it's been really sweet how we've kind of been able to be in a place where everybody's had the time in life where they feel like they're in the majority.
0: Yeah. You know, and
1: the rest of the family is minority. So, um, it's, I don't have any bad things to share. I think I have some funny stories. There were some places in China that we went that, um, were, uh, you know, in villages and things where people, where they had never seen another white person. And so adopting was kind of a new, totally new thing to them. And we've had comments that would just blow you away. Like, what in the world, how, why is your daughter Chinese and you're white? And you know, I'd say, you know, we just, we've been living in China so long that the last one just came out Chinese. And I'm like, oh yeah, yeah. That makes sense. You know, <laughs> I just have a lot of funny stories. But um, for the most part, I think it's been, we haven't had any hardships. We haven't been in America during some of the hardest years, which I think have been recently. So I don't know how all that would go. But um, I do feel like since we've started this adoption process, you know, we knew nobody who had adopted when we first had Millie. And now it's hard to find any of our close friends around here, you know, in the missions community that don't have at least an adopted child. (laughs) And they're often from somewhere else. So it feels very normal to my kids. They feel very normalized here and lots of adopted kids and, um, it hasn't been, it hasn't been a big deal.
0: That's really, really, really awesome. Um, yeah, that's, that's great. How have your kids, do they see any difference or do they even notice at all? Oh, of course they do. I mean, my daughter, my youngest who's from Haiti, you
1: know, her hair is like the bane of my existence and, (laughs) But I found culturally, you know, that's one way that you in that culture you can't just show up at the grocery store with your kid with bedhead and pajamas on. That would be, you know, like I would with my with my Emma. But if I did that with Livy, she would just look like a totally unloved child. That is showing love to your child. You need to keep that hair nice and done, and it's a tough job. Yeah. <laughs> it's hard to, so, um. You know, we try to do things that aren't going to upset or cause a lot of differences among where we are, especially here in Kenya. I always keep mm-hmm. her hair as nice as possible. But um they they don't I mean, we've made I think my husband's really good about humor. That's helped us in a million situations, but it just lessens any kind of tensions or feeling weird when we make it weird, you know? We we yeah. we joke about things. We We often make our racial differences a funny, funny thing in a way that, yes, we all belong. We're all in the same family, but we're not going to make you feel weird. Like, you don't have to pretend that you're not Asian or that you're more, you know, don't be afraid to, you know, if you want to hip hop and do these things that culturally we think are more,
0: you know, go for it. It's kind of in your blood. You do dance that way, and it's awesome, you know. Yeah, yeah. So, just celebrating those Um, cultures, I think that that's, I mean, that's becoming a lot more important in the adoptive community. And I think that that's great that that just comes super naturally to you guys.
1: Yeah. So, that's been, um, that's been fun. I don't think that they, um, I don't think that there's been many hardships. Of course, none of our adopted kids have gone through puberty yet. And, you know, going through that with our three biological kids (laughs) recently, (laughs) it's like, oh, great. That was tough. (laughs) That was tough, and we're still in it, so um, we'll see. But right now, I I think they all are pretty confident. Those the three youngest are pretty confident in who they are.
0: So, oh, that's so great, and you know what a blessing that you guys have lived. I mean, the past. Here in America, the past couple of years especially have been pretty uh, tense in the racial department. Um, I'm sure you guys have caught wind of that over in Kenya, but what a blessing that during these formative years, you guys have not been here with your um, right. with your black children. Right. I,
1: I think about that, but I do think, you know, I do know a lot of families that do have multiracial families in America, and um, I have to remember not to get caught up in what media is saying. There's, yeah. I don't think they're overwhelmed or like anything's changed in their neck of the woods. You know, people are loving, people are accepting. Yeah. For the most
0: part. Oh, and that's so great. That's so great to hear it. And very encouraging to people considering, um, walking this path. Um, okay. So the next kind of thing that I wanted to ask you about, and whenever we, were first even thinking about adoption, we asked you and Casey to go to dinner with us and just asked about some attachment things because we wanted to adopt older kids. And none of your kids have been, I mean, I'm sorry, when you met Livy, she was a baby, but when you brought her home, she was not really a baby. So I know that international adoption and attachment, I mean, there are books and books and books and books and books written about this. So what were mm-hmm. what were your experiences with attachment um, and just the, the the hardships that come with that?
1: Yeah, I think um, it was actually harder with our first one with Millie. Um, For whatever reason, she attached to me and nobody else um, for the longest time. And like I said, it wasn't really an attachment. It was more of a fear um, that she clung to me so much. But um, I think if I had any advice to give, it would just be to you know, some of those books that you read were scary and they, they are worst case scenario. A lot of them. And, um, I had to come to a point where I stopped reading, and, you know, the connect each other, some great books out there, but there's also some really harsh ones that are clinical and they're kind of the worst case scenario. And someone who's, you know, a mom who's broken and just trying to do her best and they're not healthy to read, you know, when, when you're, And when you're in a hard time and wanting to do the best you can take the good advice from good books that people have highly recommended and don't on your own, find anything out there. But, um, for Millie, yeah, it just took time. And I think it was really helpful when we were going through it the second time around to just show so much more grace. I think for my husband, especially being like, okay, it took about a year till Millie, you know, let me hold her hand. It took, two years until I felt like we were on this level, you know? And so, um, with the next two, he just thought, you know, just don't sweat it. We're not going to You can't force love on either side. You just can't. And you got to show yourself grace. They deserve the best, but you also deserve a lot of grace too. You're trying, you're doing, you're doing what you can and don't beat yourself up. We're all going (laughs) to, we're all going to get there and we're all going to make mistakes along the way.
0: Yeah. So So I'm hearing a couple of themes and the first one is patience. We've talked about that a lot, you know, just waiting. And then now we're talking about waiting for that attachment and not trying to force it. And I do think that that's such good advice, but then also, um, yeah, just, just being giving grace to the situation and not, not relying on what someone else says about your family and, and, And putting those feelers out and deciding how things are going to go. And I think that, I mean, that's something we learned even in domestic adoption, just that, um, you know, I, I'm kind of the same way I've started to read a lot of books and I'm like, this just doesn't make me feel good about the situation. (laughs) And I'll, you know, a lot of times I'll quit reading it because I'm like, I would rather it just, this just be me and God and, Mm -hmm. you know, Brian, obviously, and the people that love us and know our situation rather than depending on the structure that someone you know who lives across the country talks about is that is that kind of something you would agree with
1: yes i think just being away from the books that are kind of um like i said worst case scenario clinical books you know all the ones on that give you great tips on attachment and you know abandonment issues and whatsoever and, and how you can help them is great but ones that uh you know, I think there was just two that I read that were just really harsh. And I thought, I don't want to ever recommend anything like this to any adopted mom because it's it's unfair to have that projection with a child before that child even has a chance to grow and change and for you to, you can't project on them how this is all going to turn out because of their adoption issues, because of their abandonment issues, because of their attachment issues, you know. We just have to do day to day what what we can, and not have fear that they're going to turn out this way or um, this isn't going to work, and they're going to be that kid that I read about in the book, or this is going to happen. No, we don't know. Only God knows that child.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's great. And and you know, I feel like you're you're talking about expectations on a completely different level than what we've talked about on this podcast. Because I've I've suggested not to have expectations because I had them in the opposite way. Instead of thinking that everything was going to be scary or bad, I, you know, naively was like, Oh, with enough love and structure, you know, we'll get through this and it'll be, you know, whatever. And it was just completely drowned me and how difficult it was. And you're saying, you know, I feel like a lot of people on the adopt on the international adoption side are like, it's going to be the hardest thing you've ever done in your entire life. And it might be, but you're saying not to have expectations the other way. And that it's going to be way harder than it. It might not actually be that hard. (laughs) Or maybe not hard, but um, hard in the way that they say it's going to be.
1: Right. And I don't mean – it will be hard. You know, we can't get around that. Um, It's going to be hard for everybody. But at the same time, you know, I just – I think about like with my first – I just remember so many times just – you know, and I didn't – like I said, I didn't know any other adopted families at the time. I just remember bawling with a friend one time thinking, oh, my gosh, are things ever going to change, you know, or is she ever going to feel loved? Is she ever going to – know that I really love her you know is this ever going to happen and with her and her dad with you know her really feeling secure here to where we can be normal we can be a normal family yeah (laughs) and um, then that's all we want yeah there was just (laughs) so much depression like I'm just you know we're just going to work this out for the rest of our lives it's just what we're called to do you know but then by the time the next ones come around you know we had some even scarier I mean Luxon was four years old, and the first thing that he kind of did that was really um, alarming was you know, he'd get when he'd get in trouble or felt like he wasn't pleasing us and we'd have to scold him, he would space out and look to the sky and just I mean literally just zone out like a seizure almost and drooling everything just out in the middle of nowhere and wow. not respond to anything for I know scary stuff, right? But at the time, after going through so much with Millie and seeing, you know, and God's timing and how things work out, it wasn't quite as scary. I wasn't in that place where I'm like, oh, this means this. And this is just, you know, we just got to love him through it. The rest of our lives they are going to be like this. It's, he's never going to attach. He's never going to understand. And, you know, it was just easier to chill a little bit and be like, "Yep, this is hard. And it's really hard for him. <laughs> it's hard for us, but it's really hard for him. And we're all going to get through this. You just need to chill and take it one thing at a time, you
0: know, not get overwhelmed by the fear, I should say. that is um, such a good piece of advice. And it's so simple. Don't get overwhelmed by the fear. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. You know, so I had put on here to talk about um, what adoption looks like in regards to missionary work, but I feel like we've, we've already, address that. And I know that moving, I know that leaving furlough for your older kids was really difficult, but, um, your family seems to really embrace just the cultural differences and, um, just the changes, I guess, that come with, with you guys being missionaries. And, um, I mean, but what are some of the harder things that you've been through, especially with your adoptive kids? With Moving? Yes, with moving with- and just living in different countries and cultural uh, – culture shock maybe. <laughs> yeah. Hmm. Let me think. Um,
1: honestly, they were the easy ones on this move. <laughs> my three teens, my biological kids that really struggled. But um, let's see.
0: Um, hmm. And it's totally okay if you don't have anything I just didn't you know I know that a lot of people listening are probably uh not missionaries but I think that I think that mainly I was wondering just if that that culture stuff had uh put any strain on your family just your family looks so different already and then you're you're moving to places where maybe they haven't seen a lot of that but okay. um
1: Yeah, I really can't think of anything. The only thing I can think of would be positive. I mean, we've seen a lot of, just by seeing that it's possible, it's, you know, it's kind of a big thing and it has been for a while, which is super awesome that adoption is becoming such a big thing in America. Um, But it's not like that in a lot of other countries still. And so being a place like China where, you know, it takes us forever and so much trouble, to adopt. Whereas, you know, we, we meet Chinese every day. They're like, what, what is this? They've never heard of it. They don't know. Why would you do that? What? I, they don't understand it. And then as they get to know us and being believers and it becomes more normal and we've just seen so many other Chinese families that have adopted, it's much easier for them so much easier in your own local country to adopt. So we've seen such a good positive effect that they, you know, that it has on, on just kind of spreading the love of adoption and making it more normal. And um, same thing here in Kenya, you know, it just closed. And so Americans aren't able to adopt here anymore, but you know, the Kenyans can. So all these little babies that, you know, we have all these little areas with like kind of, you can foster out kids. And so a lot of missionaries will take in a baby for a weekend or do, you know, just little things here and here there, but the Kenyans, you know, are seeing this and being like, but I can still adopt. This is something I can do, and um, it's just becoming more normal. I think I should say it, it seems more normal when they see it. It's been a, a very positive thing,
0: actually. Yeah. Ah, oh, that's amazing to hear. I love that. I love that because um, I feel like in our in our tiny little American box that we like to put ourselves in, we we think of adoption as a very American thing, and so it's just great to hear that um, that it's not. <laughs> Right. It's almost even sweeter when you see
1: a Kenyan family like, oh, my goodness, we can adopt right here. And it's a Kenyan baby, same culture. It's awesome.
0: Yeah, (laughs) absolutely. Um, Okay, so I kind of have some like uh, little closing questions and you can take as much time to answer them as you need. Um, I didn't want you to think it had to be like a quick answer type thing, but. So um, what do you wish that someone had just looked you in the eye and told you at the beginning of this journey and just made you believe it? Hmm.
1: I wish, let me think, that they would have said, like we've been talking about so much, just patience. It takes time. It just takes time and chill out. You know, (laughs) don't let the fear overwhelm you. And I would also say the don't project along with that. Don't project their future. You know, when you're caught up in those fearful moments or you're like, this is just like the book I read. She's doing this and this means this. And, you know, she's got <laughs> these issues. Don't project their future from there because we have no idea what God has in store. We can't even name what's going to happen tomorrow with any of our children. But um, that's where I I kind of I found for my, myself, I've had to learn through years and years and years of having kids that, That's what I did so much when they were younger and not just with the adopted kids, but with all the kids, something would happen and I project from something I read or I just project their future, how it's going to be for both of us, our whole family from now on out, you know, and it's not like that. So I just wish someone would have said, just chill out. It's a season. Things are seasoned.
0: Some things will last, but they'll change. You'll change. They'll change. That's so good to hear because I am in that season, so... (laughs) It's, uh, it's a struggle every day to not just be like, this is what my life looks like now forever and ever. This is just what it's going to be. Well, you got three babies and a teen. So, <laughs> good gosh. <laughs> pray, pray for me, please. <laughs> my house is just never clean ever. So, um, okay. So, what is something you wish you had done differently? And maybe I know that you said that you wish you'd chilled out, but is there something even more specific than that, that you wish you had done differently along the way?
1: You know, um, thinking about this question. I, I really don't all the, all the mistakes. We're all going to make mistakes, but I think that's part of it. I don't want to pinpoint something. There is something that just shines up in my brain, like the worst parenting moment I ever had. And I'll share it. If you want me to, you'll think I'm a total fail, but it may make <laughs> your listeners feel better.
0: <laughs> please, please, you will not seem like a total fail. I love it. Tell us. I'm here with, you know,
1: abandonment issues and all that thing and everything you've learned and everything I've read, you know, so with Millie, she was, you know, needing my constant attention, like I said, and um, but she was also a perfect child. She was on that scale. You know, some of them rebel to get your attention and know that you still love them, and some of them are absolutely perfect to know that you love them. They don't want to upset you. They don't want to get because they don't want to be pushed out. They don't want to lose their place, you know, lose your love. It's what they're thinking at least. And so I had that. That was my sweet Millie was she was the most obedient, sweet child. And it only happened like twice a year, honestly, <laughs> that she would do something that I'd have to reprimand her on because she tried so hard to be perfect. I wanted her to fail so that she could see over and over again that, this is unconditional, babe. I yeah. love you. You can't lose my love, you know, ever. But that was a really hard thing for her. So when she did, I had to be very careful, be like, okay, I'm as gently as I can, I have I have to let her know that this is wrong. You know, I wouldn't let another child lie and get away with it. You know, I have to so um in those moments I would reprimand her as gently as I could, try to say all the right things. I love you, but this is something we need to work on. Let's try this together. Um, but the moment she felt like she did something wrong, it was like all hell broke loose, and she just—it was a trauma. It just hit a trauma, and she would um, cry inconsolably, screaming, yelling. And if you know my sweet Millie, this is nothing like her. It's like someone had taken over her. She's not. She doesn't cry. She doesn't get you know <laughs> emotional at at all and so these few times were just so so out of the ordinary but she'd be inconsolable and there's nothing you could do and so we try forever and try to calm her down and love her and do all the right things okay we're supposed to be with her just keep telling her it's okay um but there was times when i just you know we were in a hotel at this particular incident i think there was twice when i failed in one of these and they were so bad but we were in a hotel, and there was other families around, and she was keeping everybody awake. And so I was just—I was at the end of my rope. Like I've—I've done everything that I'm supposed to do. I'm—I'm I'm with her. I'm holding her. I can't anymore. She's waking everybody up. So I told her, you know what? You keep crying, and we have to—we have to put you somewhere else. Got to the point where I threatened to—if you just can't calm down, we're going to put you in the bathroom because we're in a hotel and there's nowhere, and you're waking everybody up. And we did. I ended up putting her, making a nice soft bed in the bathtub, trying to tell her, I'm not leaving you. I'm right here by the door, but you're, (laughs) we can't do this. (laughs) But, you know, I, I just, I don't know. I feel like that was how I just locked her in a bathroom. So there, there you have it. My my little girl with abandonment issues. I separated her and (laughs) let her scream it out by herself in the bathroom because I couldn't take it anymore Ugh. and I felt like all the other kids couldn't take it anymore. And so, um, you know, things like that. But then again, I come back to, you know, I don't know what, I don't know what to do. I, I, I was doing the best I could at the time. i yeah. read all the books. I was trying to do the best. And I know that, you know, I would say in retrospect, never talking about that again would have been a mistake, you know, yeah. So as she's gotten older, talking about all the mistakes I've made has been good. You know, like, oh, goodness, I've never gotten over this time. Will you forgive me? I didn't know what to do. You know, now that she's older and more able to handle things, um, but even when she was young, when I felt like I crossed the line or wasn't quite, just talking about it was good. So um, all that to say, I wouldn't do a whole lot differently because I want to believe that you know, moms, we're, we're trying to do the best we can. And we don't want to beat ourselves up or we're not going to be good moms. You know, a mom full of guilt is not a good mom. Yeah.
0: And, well, and there's so, so much good advice and just what you just said about especially not – Um, not just covering it up and not talking about it. That's so important because I know that I've made mistakes before and it's so awkward, but I've had to just be like, do you remember when I was super appalled at how much you ate when you first got here? You know, just little stuff like that. that They're just like, I'm really sorry. I didn't know how to handle that and I hope I'm doing better now. But it's so hard because as parents, you're like, maybe if we just don't talk about it, it'll just go away. So that's great advice, Mandy. Right. Yes. Uh, okay, so what is your favorite way that and, and obviously your situation's a little different because your um your tribe changed a lot, but obviously your home tribe wasn't around for a lot of it. but what's your favorite way that your tribe supported you, and then what is maybe a way that they uh that you felt not supported? just a comment or something that was um meant well but made you feel made made you feel not good?
1: Hmm. um I could say my tribe has been very supportive. Um, I think the best thing, you know, the meals, all that has been fabulous and having support is huge. But, um, I think what I've remembered most is when my family has totally unintentionally, but it's, it's spoken to me, made my kids feel like Morgans. So for instance, Millie, she's named after my mom, Millie. And my mom is just the most talkative Sanguine never met a stranger. She's out there. She's not thinking about what she says. She's a you know verbal processor. And then here's Millie, who is also a verbal processor, but more was talking out of fear, you know, of wanting your attention. But my mom totally saw that as she's just like me. She's just like her namesake, you know, everything about it, and just loves that. She loves that she's so talkative, and um, really makes her feel like she's you know you're just like your grandma. Well, that's because you're a Millie, you know, and Um, then the same thing with luck and live, there's just, well, you know, my family a little bit and we're, we're a little offbeat and some of our, (laughs) some of our boys and their father are just on the silly, crazy side.
0: (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Taking pictures of you guys was a lot of fun.
1: (laughs) Yeah. There's, there's no shy, shy kids in this bunch. So, and no one that doesn't want attention, I should say that, but, um, (laughs) But yeah, so when the, you know, the younger two, the the littlest is just as sassy as she could be. And, you know, people will say things like, or her, their aunt especially, is just like, oh my goodness, they're such Morgans, you know, just, but that speaks to me. That makes them, because I know in their heart, it makes them feel like they belong more. Like, this is our tribe. We are Morgans and we belong in this family. This was meant to be. God designed it that way. We may all look different, but we fit, we totally fit. And I think they don't do this intentionally, but they, they say it all the time and I love it.
0: Ah, that's awesome. That's, I haven't gotten that answer yet. And so I love having that. Um, so was there a way that maybe it was some unintentional hurt or anything like that? And I asked that question not to shame anyone, but I know that I have a lot of support system people listening and I, I want them to know what, what does hurt and what doesn't.
1: Yeah. Um, I'm kind of hesitant because this, there was, there's only one little comment I can think of. And like you said, it was totally unintentional. It was by a family member and it was when we were already totally in it, you know, in the adoption process with the last two. And, um, this person said, maybe I just wanted you to really double think about this. You know, you're about to have teens and I don't think you know what a whirlwind you're getting into. And, You don't want your time to be spread, you know, to be thinned out by having this new adoption and all these things happening when your teens are really going to need you. You know, at the time, our kids were just about to be in middle school and start on that path, um, the top three. And, um, you know, she was right. We had no idea some of the things that have come about since high school and middle school. But (laughs) she was right about that. But at the same time, it really hurt because I felt, you know, when... When your family has felt so strongly that God's leading you toward this, and then someone says, um, "I don't think you're making a good decision," yeah. <laughs> you know, I don't think you've thought this through. Um, it was hurtful, I should say. Yeah, it didn't stop us, and um, <laughs> you know, I took that advice and was like, "Thank you. I'm glad that you're looking out for me, but I just know that our we can't say no." When God says yes, we can't say no, you know? Yeah. So that's where that went. And yes, this has been a tough season. She was right. And we had no idea. Um, You know, we've had, we have had some crazy things happen. And it, but I wouldn't say that adoption has had any, has made it any worse or anything. It's only, it's only been part of our family growing. And this is where we are now. I don't think it's had any bearing on that whatsoever.
0: Yeah. Well, and you know, a lot of times we've talked about this on the podcast before, but a lot of times we don't, we wouldn't want to know the future. You know, I bet you probably wouldn't have wanted to know how hard it was going to be because then you might've said no to something that's been so great for your family.
1: Right. Right. And I think just, I know people aren't looking into that family specifically. Like, does she even know how long we've prayed about this and thought about this and really felt led by God, you know, like, Does she even? We don't know what that family's been through that's led them to this point in adoption. And so don't hinder them from it, I
0: would say. Yeah. Oh, that's good advice. Okay. So, what's your biggest encouragement to, you know, so a mom that's in a similar situation to you, maybe they've adopted internationally and they don't know um, what has possessed this child to freak out like this or, you know, whatever those difficulties look like. What encouragement would you give her? Um, Hmm. Well,
1: I would say just don't feel guilty about feelings that aren't there yet. You know, oh, that's good. Yes, this child deserves every bit of everything you've learned and read in those books. This child deserves that, you know, but and do it, do it. But don't feel bad that the feelings aren't coming with it because they will, they will just, you know be okay that you're doing the best you can and that you're loving that child and showing them what they need, but don't feel guilty about all the feelings on your part, you know, that you can't, that you can't make happen.
0: Oh, and that's good advice for any adoption. Cause I know for me, I just thought I would love him immediately and that didn't happen. Of course. So I thought I was doing something wrong. So, Oh, that's, that's good to hear. So, um, yeah. okay. So where can we follow your uh, your family's adventures on social media or anything like that? Well,
1: my husband is, you know, after being in China, he's scarred for life. He doesn't want his presence anywhere. You can't find him anywhere. He makes sure of it. <laughs> <laughs> but I have a Facebook account, so you can find me Mandy Morgan on Facebook. That's Mandy with an
0: that's Mandy with, with a Y, eye. right? Mandy with an I, M-A-N-D-I. An I. Okay. Mm-hmm. Get my Mandy's mixed up. Sorry. <laughs> well, they're usually with an why so. <laughs> yeah. Okay, well, awesome. And I'm just, I'm so grateful that you came on. I know that there was a huge time difference, so I'm super appreciative of us being able to make it work. Well, me too. Always fun to talk to you guys. Yeah, for sure. We miss you guys, and we hope that we'll uh, see you on a visit soon. But thank you so much for taking the time to chat with me today. You're so welcome. Thank you for listening to the Adoptive Mom Podcast. I know this stuff is hard, and I hope you found encouragement here. Remember, you are enough, and you're doing a great job. God wants to be at the center of this journey, and He is big enough to redeem all of our mistakes. Don't forget to check out show notes and other resources at theadoptivemompodcast.com. Thanks again for listening.